Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead end of baseball writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. On today's episode, we're going to do a news and notes recap. There's been a lot happening across women's soccer, so we're going to chat all about it. A quick reminder before we take a deep dive into everything Please download, follow, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube so that you never miss out whenever we go live. Hello to everyone joining us live. Good morning, good morning, good morning, buenos dias. We are so excited to have you with us. We always appreciate whenever you link up with us on our lives. Lisa, how you doing, buddy? I got to check in with you. Not a not the best weekend for Philly. It's not. Thanks for the salt in the wound, Sandra. Um, I'm just trying know, to check not, in. I just want to be like. Yeah, it's it was a rough weekend. Um, it was a very rough weekend. For those that don't know, I am an avid Philadelphia sports fan. And not only did we have one team in a championship, but we had two teams in a championship. Of course, both matches or or both games happening on Saturday, the Philadelphia Union in the MLS Cup. That match happened on Saturday afternoon. Um, The game was in L.A. L.A. ends up beating the Union in it was a double overtime. It went to penalty kicks. It was such a back and forth game. It was incredibly stressful. There was a red card. It was down a man. Um, The The penalty kicks is like very frustrating. The union ends up losing in penalty kicks. They don't make a single shot. I'm like blown away by this. That that was a really heartbreaking loss for myself and for the rest of Philadelphia. The union deserved to win that. Um, Jim Curtin, head coach of the union, deserved to win that. It was it was it's very heartbreaking for me. But then later that night, we had Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series game six. They were going up against the Houston Astros. And Philly had won two games, but this was it. They needed to win game six. It was in Houston, and they just can't do it. Schwerber gets a a home run, but it's not enough. Um, So we didn't win either of our championships, and now Philadelphia has become the only team, the only city to have two sports teams lose championships in the same day. So 
That's or not a bunch of losers. losers. It's a really sad time. It's not great, but you know, yeah. picking our picking ourselves up by the bootstrap Monday morning and looking ahead to women's soccer because I was it's brighter uh, times. Like emotionally invested, like oh. alongside and with you. There were moments where I was like texting you, yeah. you know, through it. I was bummed. I was like, oh man. I was like, I really, I really got all of a sudden like emotional about it. And yes. I was just like, oh geez. I saw the funny yes. memes about it. People were like, the, the the Eagles are undefeated, but like at what cost, you know? Right. Yes. Like I, um, yeah, I would have given like my pinky toes or my pinkies <laughs> on my hands for like the MLS to get the MLS cup for the union. Yes. Lucy gives a shout out to the Eagles too. We do have the best NFL team. We're eight. No, right now with Eagles, but um, another like horrifying stat. No team has ever gone undefeated and won the Super Bowl. So it's, um, it's rough. It's tough. It's tough it's out here in these Philly streets. <laughs> I had to, look, I had to lead with it. I had to check in on you. Thank I had you. To I appreciate people, it. I had to let the people know that you were doing okay, that you're going to be stronger for it. Uh, but but I'm with you. Yeah, I was I was watching that MLS uh, Cup final, and it. Just, I think it, I think a lot of people were. I mean, it was a great game. Late late game drama. Who doesn't love late game drama? Unless you obviously have a, a horse in the race, right? But speaking like- of championship finals, let's dive into some fun news and updates for everybody. We want to throw it back to the NWSL Championship final because we're officially a week out from that, right? Uh, shout out to everybody who joined us in Washington, D.C. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience for, I think, everyone uh, involved, if you were out there participating in all the events. But in terms of the actual championship final, it was announced that 915,000 people pointed remotes at TVs and took a look at the NWSL championship final on CBS. Uh, It was a record. As of right now, it stands as the most watched match in league history and that included a viewership increase of 71 percent from last year's final and i know like when you and i saw that number we were just like it made us like kind of emotional we were like that's so Mm -hmm. cool man we love you love to see it yeah it it is truly fantastic to see that so many different people tuned in um i think that the craziest part of it is that 71% increase from last year's final to this year's final. It was a Saturday night, a 8 p.m. primetime kickoff on CBS. There was other sports happening, right? This is college football season yeah. uh, when you get to the end of October, and it didn't matter. There were people there ready to tune in, um, watching two incredible teams in Portland and Kansas City fight for it. it being in Washington, D.C., I think that also helped feed into a little bit of the, the pomp and circumstance around it. I mean, this is huge. This is what the league deserves. This is what the players deserve. All these eyeballs. Um, the fans also deserve it because they could watch the game. Anyone could watch the game on CBS. Um, and it was on primetime. What better way to watch it versus like a 1 p.m. kickoff or even a 9 a.m. kickoff. Remember when that was the conversation? So, I mean, yeah. huge that, that this happened. And I think it's really a step in the right direction for the growth of the league. And I can't imagine, um, and I cannot wait to see what happens next year, right? It's only going up. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I I think it's really important that you made, brought up those other points. That it was a pretty much like a heavy, not just a heavy mm-hmm. sports weekend, but really like a sports day. Like I believe one of the, the World Series games, I forget which game it was, was also, um, you know, being played live, I think. Thank you. I think it was going to, right? And it's just like you're in the beginning stages of the of a World Series and like to, you know, sign up, kind of go up and, and, and 
compete against other sort of headlining type of sports. Uh, I yeah. think folks were also keeping an eye on that to sort of sort of have these numbers, you know, um, you know, come out from that. I it, it was it just sort of felt like it added to all of the pomp and circumstance coming out of that weekend. That's that's really was one of the main takeaways, I think, for you and I, how much of an event it was, how much it really sort of felt like this sort of new, like a reset button was being pushed. It was a bit of like a turn, like a turning of the page for the league. Like it just sort of felt like new standards. Um, you know, we were, we were sort of witnessing the new standards kind of coming um, yeah. to life there. So I, I, I think that's a incredibly important point to, to bring up because that was one of those things I think that people were going to keep an eye on in terms of everything else. Like, Oh, like, yes, it's in a, it's, it's a Saturday night game you know, championship final in the nation's capital, all of this, you know, on CBS. Um, and then I think there was also that other component that folks are going to wait, you know, to kind of come down the pipeline and say like, okay, well, how did this, yeah. how did this do? Like, how did this stack up? Right. Compared to, to other, um, you know, sports that were happening across, not just that weekend, but, but that Saturday. So uh, congratulations to everybody involved. And if you were one of the, the 900,000 plus making sure you were trying to watch on CBS, good on you. Uh, keep yeah. it going. Keep that energy going. Uh, we'll give another congratulations to Portland Thorns for lifting the trophy on that night is, as well. Uh, they are a officially one week in to being <laughs> champions of, mm-hmm. of NWSL in 2022, uh, a 2-0 win against Kansas City. But listen, Kansas City current, not walking away empty-handed when it comes to awards. Kansas City current, picking up an, a special award of their own, the NWSL Community Award, the recipients of the 2022 Nationwide Community Impact Award, it's a season-long community-focused initiative that promotes community partners and local service projects chosen and led by each NWSL club. And if memory serves me correct, this was an award that fans got to vote on. Yes, I believe it was. So in addition to Kansas City winning it, it's also Global FC um, that they're like the joint winners of this, promoting community partners, local service projects. Um, so... Global FC also receives $25,000 um, to support their organization's efforts. I, I think this is huge. It was the league-wide initiative, NWSL partnering with Nationwide, um, to have this community partner in Kansas City's was Global FC. Um, I mean, it, it pretty cool. It was. It's a project to assist refugees during resettlement. Um, Global FC uses soccer to bridge socioeconomic disparities between the communities through formation of sports and culture. So I think it's really special that Kansas City won that. Um, the, the fans, the community there in Kansas City, they show up, right? Like there was some other stat that Kansas City was like the most locally watched um, of the NWSL final of all the cities. And like, I, I think it's really yeah. huge that Kansas City won this, um, the NWSL community award, like fantastic for them. Yeah, it was nice. Again, it was nice to see that kind of come out of uh of NWSL championship weekend, uh, first of possibly many, right? Nationwide, uh, one of the partners of NWSL, and I would imagine that hopefully this is something that they, uh, you know, continue uh, in this in the seasons to come as they continue to, to be partners with with the league and, uh, you know, opportunities for, for clubs to continue um, active community and active service to the markets, you know, that they're within. I think that's an important component and something that makes yeah. that really makes NWSL um, unique in terms of a lot of the, you know, professional leagues uh, across the world. It's, it's great to sort of see players, uh, you know, link up or, 
sort of have a platform to showcase what they're you know passionate about and kind of come together and and um and do all these cool things like this but uh in terms of turning the page on nwsl championship weekend uh that means that there's one final international window for the United States women's national team. And we've chatted a little bit about, uh, you know, United States going up against Germany and there's going to be some games coming up this week and this weekend. Yeah. And we'll chat more about that with you all in a separate episode, but there was an announcement that was made for the United States women's national team. They're looking ahead to 2023 already. And we've got information, public information about the January camps, a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a unique twist in this one. The United States Women's National Team is headed to New Zealand for January. They're going to be participating in their annual January camps, and there will be friendlies involved in this one. If people do not remember in the previous January camp this year in 2022, it was just an extended training camp. There were no friendlies that were attached to that. Uh, they just participated in the She Believes Cup coming out of those January camps, but that's not going to be the case for this one as they ring in the new year for 2023 and look ahead to the World Cup. A couple of friendlies against World Cup co-hosts New Zealand. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, when we look back to the World Cup draw and we saw that the United States group stage match matches, all of them will be played in New Zealand. The, one of the first topics that we talked about, Sandro, is the fact that the United States has never played a match in New Zealand. Last November, they went to Australia and played a pair of friendlies. Um, so it, it this is not at all a surprising announcement out of U.S. soccer with the U.S. women's national team because they are now going to play the World Cup games in New Zealand. So, of course, they're going to get out there and play their first ever matches in New Zealand for the U.S. Women's National Team. So they'll get to New Zealand. They'll actually train for a couple days. Um, that's how the January camp goes. It's usually a bit longer. It's a little bit more extensive. It's a little bit more um, it, intense than regular training camps. So they'll train for six days and then the U.S. will place will play against New Zealand on January 18th in Wellington at Sky Stadium. Uh, that match is going to be at 4 p.m. local time, but that's actually January 17th, 10 p.m. Eastern time in the United States. Then again, they'll play on January 21st at Eden Park. Um, that game is also going to be 4 p.m. local, which means it's going to be January 20th in the U.S. at a 10 p.m. kickoff. And I think I'm mentioning the locations of these matches because that's incredibly, incredibly important because the United States will then travel to New Zealand and play at those two stadiums again for the World Cup in just a few months. So the the way that this lined up for the United States, the way that they were able to schedule this is like two claps for them because this is fantastic. Not only are they playing in New Zealand while they'll be playing, but at the exact stadiums at sky stadium. And then again, um, at Eden park, um, which is huge. Eden park is a huge, huge stadium, 50,000 fans. Like it's New Zealand's national stadium. It's hosted a lot there. So that's really fantastic to see that they'll be getting out there. Um, but it, it's the first ever venue for the New Zealand women's national team, um, at Eden park. So, I mean, it, it's like a double entendre for the U S it's a great, thing that they're going there and then they're also playing in the stadiums and against the the host nation no i'm with you i think it's you know it's a bit of a trial run quite frankly it's yeah. uh it's an opportunity for the team to sort of circle you know they could circle it on their calendar it's something for players to look forward to um yes they're going to close out their calendar year 
2022 against Germany and have, you know, deservedly so a bit of an off season um, to finally take some time off, but they've got something to look ahead to, you know, not, that's not just a training camp. It's, this is one that's going to have games attached around it and um, against the world cup co-hosts. And, you know, we talked a lot about the world cup draw that they were, you know, part of, and, and it's good to see that they're going to really, get a run out in facilities and in cities and markets, right. That they're going to, you know, spend some time in for the world cup. So I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a good test for them. I know as, as the games get closer, we'll, we'll have, um, you know, training camp rosters for both yeah. teams to take a look at. We'll take a look at some of the crossover between player players who are going to play internationally and, uh, players who play for club and NWSL and, um, it'll be it'll be an interesting timeline to pay attention to, I, I think. Um, I, I know folks are always going to look at, at the numbers and, and those are helpful. And you're going to look at a top ranked team like the United States and perhaps like the, the historical record against New Zealand, how United States typically, you know, has has the number right. Has there has has New Zealand's yeah. number pulled and their majority of the time of. Uh, led in the all-time series, I believe, against against this team. Yeah, like seventeen, most, one and one. And most US recently, most recent is is the Olympic game, the group game, where you know they kind of they kind of got stomped a little bit, but it was it was a little bit of a mix. And, and the She Believes Cup, right? The yeah. She Believes Cup in twenty twenty two. That was in California, where it usually takes place. The U.S. beat New Zealand five nothing in that match. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, definitely history to be played between these two sides. Um, it's also because, yeah, not only the crazy time change, a 4 p.m. game to the day before a 10 p.m. game Eastern time, but it's also because of of where New Zealand is located. When the United States goes there in January, it'll be summer for New Zealand. But when they play in the World Cup, it'll be winter and chillier temperatures. So it's like a little backwards in terms of that. But honestly, like that's the only thing I can think of that. Like yeah. off a little bit, and honestly, like good prep for us too. Yeah. Like good prep for like anybody that want that wants to, uh, you know, try to take in the 2023 World Cup live. You're gonna have to start getting used to uh, seeing, you know, when the times actually match up and when the dates actually match up. Right, like you mentioned, like while it will be January the 18th, a 4 p.m. local kickoff, it'll be January 17th, 10 p.m. Eastern. If you're uh, watching, you know, uh, from the United States, so uh, practice for everybody involved. Uh, so I'd love, love to see it a little bit more uh, on the U.S. soccer side of things here. A recent announcement uh, for U.S. soccer and the task force that they are implementing in light of the Sally Yates investigation in, uh, independent investigation uh, with the full report findings and recommendations. Uh, the announcement of Mana Shim as chair mm -hmm. of the task force to prevent uh, the abuse and harassment uh, that was discovered and, um, you know, further detailed in the Yates report. So uh, good to see a big name like that. I think folks are at this point who have been following this uh, are is a name that they are familiar with. Uh, Manashim, uh, one of, unfortunately, the many uh, players who had to come forward with their truth about their experiences uh, within uh, women's professional soccer. Um, but not just Manashim. Uh, you know, within listed within this, a couple other names and uh, notable names sort of joining along with the with this task force. 
Yeah, so Mana Shim will be the chair of the task force, but uh, also serving alongside her will be Shannon Box, former U.S. Women's National Team midfielder, and then Greg Smith, who is the Maryland State Youth Soccer Association Executive Director. So they're going to join Shim on the leadership of the task force. Um, but then, uh, so that's the leadership. And then there's this entire group members that um, are joining Shim, Box, and Smith, um, the, including current former players from U.S. women's and national t- national teams, U.S. extended national teams, representatives from the MLS, USL, youth, adult member organizations, players from the NWSL, president of the NWSL, PA, uh, directors of strategies. There is a lot of people listed on this task force. Um, some of the notable names I'm going to shout out, Aaron Chastain, uh, Tierna Davidson, U.S. player, Chicago defender, A.D. French, Kansas City goalkeeper, Naomi Gurma, San Diego defender, uh, Lauren Holiday, former player, Tori Huster, she's with Washington Spirit, Alex Morgan, uh, Golden Boot winner, and then Yale Averbush West, who's also the GM of Gotham and a former national team player. So there's a lengthy list of names. Um, and people represented on this task force to develop the action plan in order to to put the suggestions from the Yates reports and implement that uh, with the board of directors for the U.S. soccer members, including the youth clubs. Um, They're going to gather best practices across the sports regarding safeguarding policies, identifying the biggest concerns, developing educational resources. I mean, there's a lot that this task force is going to tackle, and there's a lot of people that are involved in it. And I think like like Naomi Gurma, her name being on this list, uh, doesn't surprise me at all, but I love that she is one that has spoken up and said, hey, I want to be involved in this. I want to use my voice, use my my leadership skills to put a stop to this horribleness. Yeah. I think that having somebody like Manashim as, as the task force chair, and then somebody like Shannon Box is, is part of the vice chairs, but also somebody like Greg Smith is part of the vice chair. I, I like that within some of the task force members as well, that there are people across the board who have experience uh, with, youth soccer in this country mm-hmm. specifically because very very sadly one of the things that came out of the Yates report was you know the the fact that this is how you know that it's all systemic and that this actual report was very specific and, and focused on women's professional soccer but that how everything had um you know connections to each other and that Yates ultimately you know, alluding to the fact that this goes much deeper, it goes through uh, to youth soccer. So it can't just, you know, it's important that this is a, a task force that's for safety in general, not just for for women in, in professional soccer, but that there are people on this, um, you know, with ties to, to youth mm-hmm. soccer because, you know, the youth absolutely have to be protected as well. Um, so important to, to have things like this uh, implemented. And I, I would imagine that we're going to continue to see, um, you know, varying levels of of different types of solutions, hopefully, yeah, to, to try to target um, these areas. So congratulations, absolutely, are in order to to Mana Shim and, and, and everyone involved in this as well. Um, and we'll keep everyone updated, right, as, as things sort of continue to uh, develop kind of post-publishing uh, of the Yates reports. Uh, we do have some more off-season news to get into in regards to the NWSL. 
Uh, we're going to chat a little bit perhaps about expansion. What does that mean? What could it look like? I don't know. We're going to chat all about it. Free agency is officially in full swing. And uh, we've got to get through all of that with you all. And we'll do it right after a quick break. All right. Let's get back to NWSL offseason action. You know what? Let's start with expansion groups. Uh, let's start there. There's, a, there's a, a couple different areas and directions in which we could take this segment of the show. But I think we got to chat a little bit about expansion because I think that's something that gets uh, folks excited. I think it also sends a signal, I think, to folks, you know, the audiences who say, what's going on with NWSL? Are, you know, they're talking about all the success and, and, and the growth of the league. And sometimes folks out there equate growth with expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a different debate for a different day. I'm on the other side of that debate, but ex- expansion is always exciting because, especially coming out of a NWL Championship final, there was a lot of chatter about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we heard uh, often, pretty often, throughout that week from NWL Commissioner um, Jessica Berman, and she joined us at one point for uh, an episode of Attacking Third out there, um, and got a lot of questions about ex- expansion and this has sort of been yeah. kind of, you know, in the news cycle for some time, even before the, the championship final, uh, the, what could it look like? How soon could it arrive for NWSL? But uh, the deadline is, is uh, now passed at this point. Now that the time of us doing this episode, uh, but last week during the championship final, as Berman was addressing questions about it, had said at that, moment in time that the deadline was approaching and that the target uh, is 2024 and two possible expansion sides for that year. But as of now, you know, over a hundred applications and submissions for, for that deadline, I think it says a lot about uh, different markets and the league itself and people wanting to, you know, those groups wanting to be a part of yourself. I mean, even looking at at the growth from 2021 to 2022, adding into expansion sides in San Diego Wave FC and Angel City FC in LA, yes, two uh, California teams, but you look at the, they broke records in their attendance um, that they had LA playing at the Bank of California, San Diego initially playing at Torreo and then moving to Snapdragon and getting those tickets sold for Snapdragon. Um, I think ticket revenue increased 125 percent from last year according to the league and yes that is large in part due to those two california sides but um if you build it they will come right and that's exactly what we learned from these nwsl teams growing into this year so um head the commissioner of the nwsl jessica berman did say that she was expecting to receive five to ten quote meaningful bids um for an nwsl expansion side because yes there are a lot of cities and there are a lot of teams that want to um, advance their status as a club or get an NWSL club to their city. But there's so much more that goes into it. It's not just like, hey, I'm Lisa in Philadelphia uh, and I would like an NWSL team here. Like you need investors, you need a foundation, you yeah. need a partnership perhaps with the MLS team that's in your city. There's a lot that actually has to go into it. So yes, over a hundred bids or something brought into this, but about five to 10 meaningful bids that are actually like, okay, in a year's time, 
we could have a team there with a stadium, with practice facilities, and you could get fans to the games because there's so many different metrics and factors that honestly come into all of this. But um, I mean, I'm still making a bid for and for NWSL in Philadelphia. I don't think we're going to get it quite yet, but there's been a lot of different teams and cities um, that are coming in. I know NWSL to the Bay Area that's led by people like uh, Ali Wagner, Danielle Slayton, former national team players that are in the Bay Area. Yeah. And yes, that would be a third California team, but I, I don't I don't hate it because clearly there's an appetite for women's soccer in California and in Northern yeah. California, of course. I think Utah is also uh, another area that's expected to receive a bid. Um, but it, for 2024, there has been a team there. They got moved to Kansas City. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different places. You look at Minnesota as well, the Aurora, looking for a bid to get an NWSL team. What do you think, Sandra? I think there's going to be a whole, you know, that there were uh, my initial reaction to it when Berman was talking about it during championship weekend was, you know, that, yes, there were going to be a whole ton of applicants and, uh, I was in agreement in which Berman said that it's actually going to serve as a bit of a weaning out process. Mm-hmm. Um, because while I'm, I'm with you, while it's, it's very lucrative, I think for, for some clubs or some of their brands to include a, a women's professional soccer team in their, in their, in their mix. Right. I think the commissioner and, board of governors and and the other teams, the other 12 clubs that are currently in existence in the NWSL, um, you know, want to ensure that they have, you know, the right, the right partners, right. With, right. Within, within the mix. So um, you, like you said, we've heard a lot about the, the Bay area, you know, we've had uh, some of the owners on, on the show to talk about expansion to the Bay area specifically. I think we did an episode with Brandy Chastain and, and Ellie Wagner to chat a little bit about that, but I mean, it's, it's a movement that's being, that's in the process of being led by, by former players. Right. And yeah. you mentioned, you know, Daniel Slayton and, uh, you know, Ellie Wagner. So it, it just, uh, it's, it seems, I think, I think folks might be like, wow, a third California team, but I'm with you. It's a huge, first of all, it's, it's, it's a huge state, one in the literal sense, it's just a very large state, but two, it's, it's, um, it's no secret that California has had uh, a long ties to out, really outstanding soccer programs, right. When it comes yeah. to, to women's soccer. Um, and obviously there's a lot of eyes on, on Utah um, as the real Salt Lake, you know, you know, soccer holdings was, was sold and, and there was a new ownership group that came um, into the Salt Lake area and that included the possibility of, you know, adding the Utah Royals into um, into the mix of, of teams and brands that they have out there in Utah, that there was a possibility to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. revive them, you know, bring them back from from the long nap that they've been uh, taking. And I think for folks who are maybe looking at some of the news that have dropped out there, that these are the two teams that perhaps have the targets, you know, that maybe these are the likely two teams, but again, that's a lot of applicants. You're talking about over, over a hundred. That's a, probably a ton of different markets, a ton of different cities. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, potential ease into the league, I think that's part of why right. the Royals perhaps seem to, to, you know, look to have that kind of, you know, 
not green light. I will just say like yellow green light at the moment, <laughs> like to have it's this. Not path. Red. It's not yeah, red. They're not on. They're definitely not on red. So uh, you know, to sort of have this path back into the league, but it's interesting to. I think it's interesting to know that um, Berman was also asked questions specifically about Utah and, and the Royals. Um, I think at the time when everything was kind of. Mm-hmm. buttoned up and tied up with a bow that the potential for a Utah Royals expansion team to return back in had a certain price point around it. And a lot has changed yeah. in this league. Uh, valuations for certain teams have skyrocketed. And I believe the original valuation or, you know, around it was like somewhere between two to 3 million. Yeah. And that is out. It's, it's foolishness at this point. Um, that's not something I think that the league might have to have conversations about that. Um, you know, it's, it also, it's, it's all, I think it's also all going to bend depend on everything within the applications and the process of expansion. Um, and all the legalese that I'm sure right. we're going to have to go through. Um, is it possible to, to raise that number up? Is it, is there just too, is it too ironclad of a, of a contract to, um, to say no, this is where it stands, and yes, two million is is going to be going to be the fee that's uh, that that's going to to be the the total amount for for you to make your return. There's you know, and there's there's also there's also other things around uh, a team returning to Utah that players have been vocal about uh, right. in terms of you know things like the, the current political climate and you know women's rights and women's health care. Um, that players in this league have been vocal about. And so when they're looking at markets and when they're looking at cities, Berman and others have said that that is something else that they will take into consideration, that there will always be, uh, you know, player first mentality, even when it comes to expansion. So is that a city? Is that a market? Is that a state in which it will benefit players um, to play there and within it? Right. So these are all very, very different, um, different things to take into consideration, yeah. right? When they're going to, when they're going to look at all of these expansion bids. There's other people that are like, who wants a third California team? But yeah, you know. I mean, it's needless to say it is not black and white by oh, any no. means. It's not black and white. And you have to, I think, yes, having a, a Utah team where there's already been one, it, it does shed a positive light on like, mm-hmm. okay, it's happened before we could do it again, but mm-hmm. also, Hey, it happened before and it didn't work out. So now where do we go from here? I think uh, you also have to take a look at the MLS sides that have said, hey, we want to expand and grow because currently there are a number of teams in the league, the NWSL, that have partnerships with MLS sides. You look at Orlando, Houston, Portland, Washington, like they have all of these other uh, facilities and things that they can share and partner with and and utilize that, whether it's with double headers or with front office staff and ownership, things like that. Um, there's just so much of it yeah. that comes into it. I know ev- other MLS teams that put in bids are um, Atlanta, Austin, mm-hmm. Toronto, um, looking Texas. for WSL. <laughs> no, yeah, another exactly. big state, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Like what, what, what are the states that can have multiple teams? And it, it sort of feel like it's, yeah. it's still spread apart. California and Texas, right. Are, are two of those. Yeah. Um, yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see if it's like a, uh, you know, if it'll be a combination of like an, an MLS affiliated team or perhaps, you know, and, and then the second team, you know, being a non MLS team, you know, um, 
I also think it's important to know that, you know, prior to the NWSL championship and Berman's state of the league during that time, that there was a previous, you know, media availability, availability, you know, from, from Berman and, um, the, I think initial phrasing that was used for expansion was intention that there's intention for two teams. So, I mean, expansion we know can look very, very different in this league. Expansion can look like two brand new markets jumping into the fold and expansion can also unfortunately look like, um, the adoption and the absorption of a former club and yeah. ensuring that there's another market for a franchise to go to. So it's it's something I think that we're going to continue to keep our eye on. And in the buildup to 2024, it just sort of feels like this is really just kind of like the first step in terms of getting all of those applicants and getting all those submissions and then kind of having to, to wean out the process. And I'm, I would imagine that um, bids that were placed and are going to be declined will probably be told first <laughs> before right. uh, the markets uh, and bids who will join, you know, given the news that they're going to link up. So it's going it, to, it'll probably be um, a lengthy promise, uh, process. Yeah, like we won't so find out anytime yeah. soon. And this isn't until a 2024 expansion. Yep. Um, so we have a little bit of time. Yeah, no, it's just it's just something to to keep an eye on, right? There's going to be a long, long buildup in the process um, to this, and it should it should be met with excitement, you know, because like I said, growth looks different from everywhere. I mean, I was very I was very impressed to hear that you know a a franchise like Minnesota Aurora, you know, wanted right. to, to to place a bid. I I, I kind of think that they're not dark horses; they're probably like long shots, you know. Um, I would imagine that there's probably several bids in front of them that probably have a a more complete package in terms of a, of a bid to to have an NWSL um an NWSL side. I think there's you know again there's just so many things that come into consideration when considering um an expansion team in a market and and I think a big one of those things is like infrastructure, right? Like right. now with the new with the CBA in full swing as well for players um, and between the league, that's going to be one of those things. I mean, there's a literal, there's literal clauses in the CBA where it talks about, um, you know, playing facilities and, you know, on turf versus on graph, you know, are the bids that are being placed by these potential markets and cities, do they have the actual infrastructure in place to be a fully professionalized team, you know? And and Minnesota Aurora already has a team, right? They're already competing um, in, in the women's super league for, or not the women's super league, but in the, the lower level league in the United States for women's professional soccer. So, that's also another kind of ripple effect that comes into it because there are already those players that are competing on that team. What kind of happens there? I mean, I like that they threw their hat in the ring. I think it's a, a solid debate, but at this point in time, I just don't see Minnesota Aurora making the jump into the NWSL by 2024. We'll see. You know, there might be one of those teams that are told, Hey, this looks great, but maybe, maybe next time, maybe for the next round, you know, we'll, we'll have yeah. to pay attention to it. And again, all this stuff is exciting to, to chat about. I'm sure the next time there's a, you know, another state of the league by, by Berman, there will be some sort of update and something that we'll get to, to chat about, but it's not just expansion, right. That folks sort of uh, get fixated on in an off season. I mean, there's something else to get really, really excited about during this NWSL off season. It is the first official off season in which there is a free agency period in the league. Speaking a little bit, bit about uh you know the 
the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement already in reference to the expansion group. This is in reference to free agency players who have had six or more years of, of, of service within the league um, officially free agents. Uh, there was a, a discrepancy at one point. They had to go to arbitration to actually get the official list. But since then, there has been some news. So this is this is interesting for you and I, Lisa, to sort of talk about and bring on the show right here, because what we have so far is really just a lot of players re-signing with their mm-hmm. their current their former and now still current clubs. I, we just had a really great interview with uh, Rena Wilkinson, the head coach of Portland Thorns, and we chatted a little bit about how somebody like Christine Sinclair announced with enthusiasm her return to Portland and was targeted as one of those you know po- potential big name free agents, right? But said, hey, I'm going to come back for another year with Portland, try to win another one of these trophies, um, and it'll be her 11th season with the Thorns, yeah. a player who has been with that, that franchise since their inaugural season in, in 2013. But that's that's really been the trend so far. We've seen players negotiating with their current clubs, and it remains still their current club. We saw Sophie Schmidt, another one of these players, a Canadian compatriot of of Christine Sinclair, Inc. a two-year deal with Houston Dash. Uh, So again, player like Schmidt, big name target perhaps on free agency, but staying, staying in Houston. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of players that have re-upped their contracts with their current clubs. With Gotham, it's Ifeo Manamano, Taylor Smith, Mandy Freeman. Um, you, you touched on Christine Sinclair, and this isn't surprising at all because those players that have been with their clubs consistently, you talked about Christine Sinclair. She's been with the Thorns since 2013. Um, why would she go anywhere else? That's her home. So I, I imagine the first wave of news we'll hear from these free agents is that they're re-signing with their individual clubs. Now, of course, there's a lot of negotiations Negotiations and contract discussions that come with that because these players now have the option and the freedom to negotiate their own salaries with what they want. But the the free agency list is incredibly long. And I am really excited to see some of the big names maybe take moves, see where they can get a little bit more money or play with a different style of soccer that they're looking to play or just get out of a market to shake things up and advance themselves as players. Because the list of free agency players is really, really big. I mean, there's players like Gabinha, midfielder with North Carolina Courage, Brazilian international. I'd be shocked if NC Courage doesn't look to keep Dabinia at, at that club. I mean, she is their midfield. We'll she went on she went on a tear at the end of the year. But hey, if if the offer is not right for Dabinia, like I could see that move happening. Um you yeah. look at uh, some players like Julie Ertz, Tobin Heath, like what are they going to do in this free agency? Julie Ertz was with Chicago, traded to Angel City, but she's been on maternity leave, had a baby. I, I, I could see her never even stepping foot in L.A. to play with Angel City, um, depending on on what happens there. Um, there's a lot of Chicago Red Stars players, Sandra, that are on mm-hmm. this list as as free agents. You look at Vanessa DiBernardo, Danielle mm-hmm. Colaprico, um, Morgan Gutral. These are players that have been with Chicago for a pretty long time. Yuki Nagasato, she was in of racing Louisville, then she's back in Chicago. I mean, there's just a lot that can happen uh, with this free agency list. But as of right now, no crazy moves have happened. It's all been players re-upping their contracts yeah. at their respective clubs where they are right now. I think we'll we'll see the break, you know, eventually. Um, I think folks are waiting for those those big 
signings or the the big move, right? The the player that might make the the leap to a new club or or otherwise, and it'll probably happen in, in the next you know ten days or so. I believe it's a negotiating period right now, and that's what we're seeing. We're 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 seeing players. Who want who obviously want to re up with their current clubs, go through those negotiations, you know, and and sign those contracts. But the announcement for if you're going to sign with a new club is not going to happen until November 15th. So I would imagine that any of the negotiating that's going on right now between players mm-hmm. and potentially new clubs, we're not going to get that information until that deadline. So that's already been, um, that's already been written in ink. Right. So the deadline has already been there. So it's like, we're going to just sort of have to do this, uh, this, this sort of wait and see approach, right. We're doing the news and uh, news and notes episode. And we're talking about the information, um, that's in front of us, but I'm, I'm with you. I think as of right now, in terms of just sort of hearing all the names remaining on that list, the the Dabinia is, is target number one. I mean, this is a player that has had ties to, yeah, you know, global clubs, you know, I, I, this is a player I think uh, people anticipated at one point perhaps was, was going to, to go overseas, you know, and, and play, play in a different, uh, play in a different organization um, in Europe specifically. So um, I'm with you. I think, I think the media is probably the prime target there. I, I would anticipate that North Carolina is trying to do um, everything they could possibly do to ensure that they, they keep this player, um, you know, with them in, in North Carolina, but it's, it's all going to depend. That's the beauty of free agency, right? Yeah. Everything, sort of, everything sort of has to line up the right opportunity, the length of time, the dollar amount, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's exciting for us because there we've never really had a free agency period to sort of cover like this. So I'm excited to sort of see how it comes down. I'm really, I'm really just keeping an eye on November 15th. You know, I would imagine that everything, you know, that's been being discussed right now behind the scenes up to this point will eventually, you know, get its announcement either late, late, you know, November 14th or very early uh, November 15th. So everybody keep an eye out. We will as well, but uh, you know, it's not just players who are making movement throughout the league. We've got some, some coaching updates to, to talk about as well. Going to shout out uh, Theo Lloyd Hughes with the, with the breaking out of championship weekend about, uh, Houston Dash and New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. It was rumored and reported that Juan Carlos Amoros was going to make a move, and then it was made, it was announced officially that he is now no longer the head coach of Houston Dash, but the head coach of Gotham FC. And you know, maybe incorrect phrasing, right? He was he was interim head coach. Right with Houston Dash. And perhaps maybe the assumption in an off season is that there's going to be negotiations directly with the club that you're currently with, even as interim and, and sort of see what comes out of that. But uh, Gotham striking, striking first, striking early. I mean, when I first saw that Juan Carlos Amoros was leaving Houston, right? That's how the news cycle kind of happened. It was reported that he wasn't coming back to Houston as the head coach, um, as the interim manager, which is how he finished the year leading Houston to a fourth place finish on the table, their first ever NWSL playoff appearance. Um, And he had been in Houston for a bit of time as a coach. And that's kind of how he slotted into that interim head coach role. And I was really impressed with what he did with Houston and the dash and and leading them to the playoffs. But this move of him going to Gotham, um, 
I suspect that it was it was a pretty good deal for him not to not to turn down because this Gotham side is one that went on a 12 game losing streak at the end of the year under Scott Parkinson, who who left in the middle of the season towards the end of the season. Hugh Menzies, former Jamaican international coach, stepped in, but it was always pretty clear from Gotham that Menzies wasn't going to be the full-time head coach moving forward. It was more of just a solution to finish out the season yeah. this year in 2022. So now that they're having Juan Carlos Amoros as the new head coach, a three-year contract at Gotham, um, this is a Gotham side that wants to turn things around. They don't want to go on breaking losing streak records next year. They have good players, but how do they turn that around? And they really have to do that. Just 13 points to end this this year. Uh, one win, 17 losses and four draws for Gotham this year. If anyone can do it, I think it's Juan Carlos Samaros. Um, I like this this for him, but that means now that Houston is looking for a head coach. Orlando still looking for a head coach. Washington Spirit yeah. still looking for a head coach. I mean, yeah. these conversations are, are never ending about who's going to step in and, and lead these teams next year. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll see what happens um, in Houston. You know, perhaps it was a little bit of a blurry or grayed area in terms of the, the dash franchise um, and the possibility of having negotiations for a head coach when there currently is no news or update on James Clarkson, who has been placed on administrative leave since um, just ahead of the regular season in 2022. Um and we'll see what comes comes out of that. Uh, I believe, if memory serves me correct, people can stat check me on this. Um, the initial coaching contract for Clarkson, I think, expires in, in yeah. December. So perhaps maybe there's a little bit of a waiting game um, right now if you're if you're the Houston Dash in terms of trying to target um, a potential new head coach, right? But I, I would hope that a, perhaps a franchise like um, the Pride are maybe having conversations with with Seb Hines. I thought. They did some good things, and and we'll see. And we've also uh, seen that while there's not a head coach uh, named yet in Washington for the Spirit, they did make a pretty big hire uh, in Don Scott, who was recently named their director of performance, medical, and innovation. Big, big name if you follow the United mm -hmm. States Women's National Team for the last two cycles. Don Scott responsible for all of the the training and performance and medical uh, evaluations for for the US WNT during their World Cup cycles so big big hire there huge i mean she was with the US women's national team english women's national yep. team fifa uefa mls uh she was at inter miami cf of mls um overseeing first team mls next pro like she has a plethora of experience at this level and i think this is such a big big hire for washington spirit because um it's the first ever right for washington spirit director of performance medical and innovation uh which is steps in the right direction for this washington spirit club to kind of hire someone like Don Scott into this position. Uh, but hey, now they need a head coach, right? It's great to have this type of director of performance in the first ever role. And and who better else to hire besides Don Scott? Um, kind of yeah. see how the, it turns this team around. But it sets a bar a little yeah, bit. It does. Like you, ha you have the spirit of the franchise making this, this hire in Don Scott. I'm sure folks are going to say, well, if this is where you're going with this position, who's going to fill the role of head coach? We will see additional news uh, on the coaching side for Gotham FC. Shout out to Jackie Gutierrez from Women Kick Ball. Just saying that uh, Bev Yunez is also on the move as well. We could potentially 
potentially see uh, the assistant coach coming out of Gotham and with a new side in 2023. Again, something else that we'll have to keep an eye on. Offseason continues. Soccer never sleeps, and neither do we. You can always catch us live. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning and listening to Attacking Third. Download, follow, listen to us anywhere you get your shows. You can watch us too. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube to get alerts whenever we go live. YouTube.com slash Attacking Third. Lisa and I will be back with so much more because the United States Women's National Team plays Germany this week. So stay tuned for Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman. This was Attacking Third. <laughs>